0: doing everybody my name is Kelvin he him pronouns and welcome back to another episode of history Splunkers, the show where I take a deep dive into a niche topic from history that interests me and after doing some research I do my best to explain said topic to you the listener and to my friends who will ask questions and hopefully provide colorful and witty commentary and here they are hi everyone i'm jamie is she her pronouns hey guys
1: i'm ryan and he him pronouns
0: welcome back we got the gang back together again so before we get started i'd like to ask those listening to tell your friends about the show if you like what you hear and uh and then i guess are y'all ready to dive on in yes let's do it all right down the rabbit hole we go
1: to biblical times 1823 an american man named joe living on a farm in the holy land of rochester new york you mean the mormon prophet joseph smith that's right that young man spoke to god he
0: spoke to god and god said joe people really need to know that the bible isn't two parts there's a
1: part three to the bible joe and i god have anointed you to dig up this part three that is buried by a tree on the hill in your backyard wow god says go to your backyard and start digging that makes perfect sense
0: Okay. So, as those listening can probably see, this episode will be a bit longer topic today that we're discussing. And as from the intro music, they might, and the title, I guess, they would be able to guess what we're talking about today. So, How familiar are y'all with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or as they are more commonly known,
1: Mormons?
0: I know, like, a little bit, but not a whole lot.
1: There was one girl in one of my classes that I talked to a good amount that her boyfriend was the Mormon, and she was a converted Mormon, so she told me a little bit about it, but other than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, met a few Mormons myself through classes, but... uh, A large, like, introduction to a lot of people is through the intro music uh, from the musical Book of Mormon. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Book of Mormon is a comedy musical that's made by the same people that make the show South Park. And so uh, maybe not the most respectable light to present the religion in, but uh, it does, like, introduce a lot of the basic stuff. Even if it does like focus on different things in a very comedic light. So, yeah, personally, uh, I got some qualms with uh, Mormon theological beliefs and how the church operates, but we're not gonna bash them too hard. Uh, I, we will have to like dive into a couple of the finer beliefs and to explain some things but for the most part we're just going to go over the history of the early Mormons. Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds All right. Good. All right. Through my research of early Mormon history I have become intrigued because I would argue that for like the from like the 1830s through the 1850s I would argue that Mormons were one of the top three political slash cultural issues that were facing the country. I mean, the first is obviously slavery at the time, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but other than that, you know, it's slavery and then Mormons are right up there too (laughs) behind that is what I would argue. But uh, the reason I say this is because there were several times that there were significant armed conflicts between Mormon communities and their neighbors. Yeah, very violent. A lot of people died. And if things, you know, had gone a different way, maybe the Civil War would have started like another 10 years early. So,
1: hmm. um, so now when you're talking about armed conflicts between communities... Like back in the 1800s were Mormons kind of more like secluded and kind of like in their own little zone or.
0: Yeah. So they were very much a insular community because a lot of the times the people who they lived among didn't want anything to do with them. And so it, and also they're big on like family and community and mm-hmm. drawing those close ties with each other. Our big values and so there's kind of both of those pressures kind of isolating them from the larger communities that they would inhabit but like for example of like the degree of hatred that people had whenever the republican party was first founded it was highlighted like two things that were tearing the country apart one of them being slavery and the other was mormons Wow. Which is kind of (laughs) ironic because then a hundred years later, they actually nominate a Mormon in Mitt Romney to be the president. (laughs) So they have a bit of a turnaround, I guess. I didn't know he was Mormon. Yeah. He was the first. never heard that either. He was the first like major Mormon politician and the first Mormon nominee to run for president.
1: Wow. Hmm. And, uh, it's a big reason why he's out in utah now so it wasn't even that big that that long of a time between wasn't jfk the first like openly catholic yeah so JFK?
0: yeah he was the first catholic and joe biden he's number two catholic Mm -hmm. um so yeah we haven't had a whole lot of religious diversity up in the top job
1: which yeah kind of a kind of a sidetrack but you would think with how large Catholicism is that there would be more of a presence in like American politics, but with only being, you know, JFK and Biden, that's kind of an interesting thought of how that really hasn't gotten into the top tier of American democracy up until this point.
0: Well, I will say Catholics right now have the Supreme Court unlock. Really? Yeah, I think a majority of the, because uh, with Amy Coney Barrett, the most recent one that just got put on. She like tipped the scale to where they're now majority Catholic, and it's the first time that's mm-hmm. happened. Sidetrack. Uh, <laughs> I dig- we digress. So, how about uh, let's start off with some background about the founding of Mormonism, and then we'll kind of follow them as they trek across the country doing their stuff. Joseph Smith, the founder of the LDS Church, which is like. The official title, Latter-day Saints, but LDS for short. This guy lived in upstate New York in the 1920s. And whenever he was like about 14, he allegedly had uh the first and several visions from God angels and the such, telling him, you know, that all the world's religions were. Wrong, and that he was going to get guidance on starting the true christian church and re-establishing it through these visions uh they led him to allegedly discover a stack of golden plates in the woods uh outside of his house well not too far from his house i guess And he translated these plates into the Book of Mormon, which was published in 1830. The book is supposed to be, you know, continuation of the revelations of God, part three to the Bible, I guess. So, yeah, it caught on bestseller, I guess you could say, Um, even though I don't know if that was a term they used back then. Through this book and the teachings of Joseph Smith. The LDS Church was founded and it quickly grows into a sizable religious community because this was at the time of the Second Great Awakening, uh, which was sweeping the entire country in this spiritual revival. And so several new religious movements were popping up around this time, a lot of them coincidentally in upstate New York. But by the end of the 1930s, a large portion of Mormon believers, or they call themselves saints, I think, they had moved from upstate New York to Ohio, and then they had finally established themselves in a community in far west Missouri. That's the name of the town, far west And a bunch of people started pouring from across the country to go live with the Mormons if they believed in it, because they were still big on missionary work back then, as they are now. And so you get a bunch of people coming from across the country, settling in Jackson County, Missouri, which is near modern day Kansas City, but uh, neighbors didn't like a whole bunch of people moving there. So it wasn't the most peaceful arrangement And in order to kind of prevent violence from getting too hot, in 1836, the Missouri legislature created a separate county specifically for Mormon settlement, uh, Caldwell County, which was a bit north from where they were settling. And so this caused a large number of Mormons to be forcefully evicted from their homes to resettle in this new area. But compared to the to the later arguments is a slight way to put it. But compared to later conflict, it was fairly mild in getting them to move. So now we got a deep dive into the one aspect of Mormon belief that was really uh causing non-Mormon people to get upset, and because let's just say religious pluralism was not a very strong suit of theirs back in the day <laughs> can argue. It still isn't now, but you know, it's whatever. So the main complaint is polygamy, plural marriage. So I got to explain that to y'all now, like what was their logic behind polygamy and plural marriage? So originally the practice was not an official teaching of the church. Um, It didn't become like officially church sanctioned until 1852. And even whenever it did become, you know, out and out celebrated practice, most saints never actually participated. I think it was at the most a third of the men and maybe a quarter of the total population actually participated in it and before it was church sanctioned some members would actually be excommunicated from the church if they expressed support for polygamy it's interesting but they would you know be denouncing these people while also secretly performing plural marriages so you got a little bit of the hypocrisy there
1: now my question is was joseph smith alive in like 1852 when they like officially condoned it he wasn't but we'll get to that okay okay
0: so the practice sort of began kind of early on it was about 1832 i believe whenever the practice kind of starts that's the earliest records we have of it but in 1843 there's more documentation that Joseph Smith officially has this revelation from God that plural marriage is a thing that is ordained by God, even though, again, he would publicly denounce that it was a practice. He would he was married to multiple women and would also be marrying multiple women. So yeah, the logic behind plural marriage in their theology, the best I understand it, is that in order to get the best outcome in the afterlife, like in heaven, you need to increase the size of your family, your spiritual family, because increasing the size of your family increases the number of people who worship God. You have a lot of kids, you increase your family, you're doing good. So that's what a lot of the marriage was for, but also simply the act of marrying people joins them to your family. So you boost your numbers that way. It doesn't have to be sexual. there's also uh, the fact that the LDS faith considers itself a restorationist church, meaning that they are attempting to replicate the quote unquote original church from back in the day. And a lot of the early patriarchs in the Bible, like Abraham and stuff, they had multiple wives. And so if God was fine with it back then, then he's fine with it now. And so the practice resulted in there being extremely large Mormon families. Joseph Smith himself had up to 40 wives. Jeez. Uh, the oh, youngest yeah. of which was 16 at the time of the marriage. Uh. And he was 30 something. So, Was this like 40 <clears throat> like eventually all at the same time? So, again, it's not exactly 100% sure how many were married to him because his first wife, I think her name was Emma or something. She went to her deathbed denying that Joseph Smith married multiple people. Mm. But uh, I think towards the end, yeah, he had like 30 wives at like one time Mm. or something, you know. And are the wives considered married to each other or just to the husband? I think it's just to the husband. Not 100% sure on that, but I think it's just the husband. Divorce was readily available to these women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe with social norms, they weren't necessarily forced, maybe. But again, it's probably not, you know. It would not be, you know, satisfactory in today's world, obviously.
1: Yeah. I've I've been holding some of my comments because I don't want to be too hypercritical of anyone's personal belief or anything like that. But at the same time, like I've I've listened to my share of true crime podcasts and stuff like that. And so I don't <laughs> want to say I'm any kind of expert. But
0: uh-huh. at the
1: same time, this kind of this sort of like origin story. Mm. Also sounds like a lot of what you would hear from, say, like a cult documentary, which take it as, as you want. But just the parallels of a man having a sign from God that he is a chosen one in some way. And through that, taking over, convincing people to join him in a commune and then going out and saying, well of course I can have as many women as I want because God says so. It the the parallels to me at least are a little too uncanny if I you mean, can understand my reasoning there.
0: What is a religion except a cult that you just add a whole lot of time
1: <laughs> and structure to and support behind exactly. because if if there's something that went wrong and you know the united states government stepped in and cut you know like stopped the commune from doing anything and just broke up disbanded would mormonism be any bigger than any of these other cults is kind of an interesting question to think about i think at least
0: when you talk about the government stepping in a lot you'll hear that a lot uh government stepping in to try to quash these uh what, you know, what they would perceive as cultists, you know, heretics or whatever. So let's go on. They're in far West Missouri. Uh, The Mormon population is continuing to grow in this region and uh, eventually gets to the point where the Mormon population is growing outside of like the compromise zone where Mormons were allowed to live. Non-Mormons in the area began to see them as... An economic and political threat because the community was a very cohesive and sizable voting block. And, you know, if you have certain political issues and you don't want thousands of people all living in the same spot that are all going to vote together to vote against you. And so there was a lot of anxiety around that. Also, with this sort of political anxiety, there's also a lot of sort of church politics going on at the time because several high ranking members in the Mormon church were being excommunicated for a variety of reasons and being urged to leave this community. And whenever they would leave, they you know, have beef with the church that just excommunicated them. And so they can go and stir up that anti-Mormon sentiment uh, outside. And so this kind of all comes to a head. The what's the word? Uh, The tension is kind of growing and it all comes to a head where on July 4th, 1838, uh, a church leader named Sidney Rigdon uh, gave a speech, and in the speech, he declared that Mormons would no longer be driven from their homes by persecution, and that if enemies came to remove them, quote, it shall be between us and them a war of extermination. One party or the other shall be utterly destroyed,
1: end Whoa. quote. I get it. I get self-preservation, I get keeping what's yours, but at the same time to say the other group will be destroyed is maybe an overstep. I mean, maybe.
0: Yeah, well, later that year, there was an election in a newly formed Davies County, which was right up in that part of Missouri. And it had a very large Mormon population kind of spilling over into it. So on August 6th, a candidate for the state legislature named William Penniston gave another speech in which he called Mormons, quote, horse thieves and robbers, end quote. And he claimed that if Missourians let the Mormons vote, then they would lose Suffrage, and he warned Mormons not to vote in this election. Basically, told everybody if the Mormons vote, they're gonna take away your rights. So Mormons, you better not vote. Well, you know they're not going to listen to you, and so around two hundred non-Mormons gathered in the town of Gallatin around the courthouse to prevent. Any Mormons from coming to the ballot box, intimidating them. And so whenever a group of around 30 Mormons do arrive to cast their vote as is their right, they were stopped and told that, and again, a uh, quick trigger warning because we are in the early 1800s, this crowd told the group of Mormons that they had about as much right to vote in the county as Negroes. Missouri is a slave state. This, of course, didn't make anybody happy. And so a brawl broke out. And the Mormons were actually able to hold their own. And uh, the crowd dispersed. The Mormons went home. And this was like the first major outbreak of violence. And there were rumors that there were casualties on both sides, even though no one was killed or even seriously wounded.
1: Sounds like the Mormons are a scrappy, scrappy bunch. If scrappy it was bunch, yeah. 200.
0: Yeah, the, the, they did pretty good. And, but, you know, they dispelled the 200 people. They went home. They went home to grab their guns to, you know, go get vengeance because. Of course, of course. They got their asses kicked, basically. And so Joseph Smith had to run around to several community leaders with, he had himself, you know, a mob, but he had himself a posse. Uh, and they went around to the different community leaders and had them sign documents sort of disavowing the violence that had happened and promising that they wouldn't participate in any future like vigilante quote unquote justice actions. Um, so like you know, you get a sheriff and other people that a crowd would need to have legitimacy to enact this violence. And so he was able to get everything calmed down for the most part in Gallatin. In a neighboring County, same election in a place called DeWitt. They community just put the issue of Mormon settlement on the ballot. They Basically, voted to not have the Mormons settle there. Of course, the Mormons were like, my goddamn right to settle wherever I want. And so, over the next couple of months, they violence kind of escalated until September 20th, whenever another mob gave the Mormon population of DeWitt 10 days to leave the city or else. And so The Mormons in DeWitt sent letters to the governor of the state trying to ask for some help. And on October 1st, the mob completely barricaded the town. And it took like five days for the state militia to come and aid the Mormons. But the mob didn't listen to any of the militia's order to disband. And so after the militia troops, Threatened to join the mob against the Mormons. The leader of the militia knew this wasn't going well. And so he ordered a retreat and awaited the governor's intervention in the issue. Took another three days for the governor's response to come back. And he said that he would do nothing if there was a fight between the Mormons and this mob.
1: Mm. Exactly what you want to hear from a government official.
0: Yeah, and so on October 11th, the Mormons agreed to evacuate, and that night they evacuated the city, and two women actually died in the process. One died from exposure, and another died during childbirth. Mm. So yeah, not very Mm. fun time. This violence keeps escalating with both sides forming militias that sort of engaged in shootouts with one another. And this becomes known as the 1838 Missouri Mormon War. Which will be the first Mormon War that we talk about. The Um, first. (laughs) The first, yes. And so this kind of goes tit and tat back and forth until October 27th. Whenever Missouri governor, the one that had refused to help, his name is Lilburn Boggs, (laughs) he raised a state militia of over 2,000 members and issued Executive Order 44, which stated, quote, the Mormons must be treated as enemies and must be exterminated or driven from the state, if necessary, for the public peace.
1: Wow. It's kind of intense.
0: Yeah. So this order became known as the Mormon Extermination Order. And I do think that Executive Order 66 from Star Wars has, like, I think it was partially inspired Mm -hmm. by this, but not 100% sure on that. And so after this extermination order, in the process of trying to leave the state, the Mormon militias were still acting in sort of like a self-defense because now basically state militias are out searching to kill, basically. And in November, about a group of 60 Mormons were tried on charges of treason Murder, arson, burglary, robbery, larceny, perjury. They just threw the book at them. Uh, Joseph Smith was one of these 60 members. And in spring of 1839, so the following year, Joseph Smith managed to escape while he was being transferred between jails. And with the other Mormons, he resettled across the river in Illinois and founded a new community called Nauvoo. And so the Missouri Mormon extermination order worked. Effectively, all Mormons were expelled from the state. Once this happened, many Missourians, even if they disliked the Mormons, uh, they felt that this violent expulsion was a bit excessive and an overreaction. And so governor Biggs actually faced some political fallback from this. And uh, in fact, in 1842, the governor was shot in his head at his home. Um, but he miraculously survived the assassination attempt. Whoa. A lot of people believe that it was like a Mormon Vengeance sort of deal But the one suspect That uh, went to trial uh, It's kind of funny He was uh, acquitted Due to lack of evidence And uh, his statement Was quote I never shoot at anybody If I shoot They get shot He's still
1: alive ain't he (laughs) So it can't be me (laughs) I mean you can't argue with the logic
0: Yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like he's okay (laughs) i only kill people so it couldn't have been me because he's still alive
1: sound defense
0: (laughs) so yeah in all only 22 militia members from either side were killed but it's unknown how many civilians were injured or killed in the conflict that's the first mormon war And it results in the Mormons being expelled from the state of Missouri. So, yeah, the Mormon community is now in this brand new city, Nauvoo, Illinois. And they managed to grow into a rather impressive little city. Um, I say little. At the time, it was either larger or about the same size as Chicago. Mm -hmm. So around 12,000, 15,000 people pretty good amount so yeah it was like one of the largest cities in illinois at the time smith was able to really cement his political power in the community he became mayor he was head of the municipal court and he was general of the local militia in addition to being the head of the church the man that wears many hats exactly and um He's still a wanted man in the state of Missouri, and so occasionally officials from Missouri would detain Joseph Smith, but the Nauvoo Municipal Court would simply issue writs of force and he would be released because (laughs) jurisdiction and I don't know how all that worked, but he would conveniently get the city to organize his release. If he ever fell into the hands of the people that wanted him. Mm. And in fact, he becomes all nice and so politically that in 1844, he decides to run for president of the United States. Cool. Um, wow. um, An ambitious man. And uh, his platform is create the creation of a Theo democracy. Whatever that means. <laughs> But growing in this large city, history begins to repeat itself. And those surrounding them begin to fear this growing Mormon political power. And there is also continued tensions in church leadership. One of these leaders, his name was William Law, whenever he had his little spat and was excommunicated, I think, he threatened to expose the practice of plural marriage, which this time was really being practiced by the church leadership and other members, even though it was still on the hush hush. And so he writes this expose in in a nearby city's newspaper, airs out all this dirty laundry that he knows because he was a Mormon, and became this big sensational thing, of course upset joseph smith and the mormon leadership a lot and so in june of 1844 smith ordered a militia to assemble and ordered the destruction of the printing press of course it wasn't in the same city that smith is in charge of so he ordered a militia to go into a different city and destroy a printing press so there's a Huge amount of public outcry. People got angry in order to defend the Mormon community against any possible backlash. Smith declares martial law in Nauvoo. But he ultimately submits and was arrested and he was charged for inciting a riot. And he was also charged with treason against the state of Illinois because he declared martial law whenever he really wasn't supposed to. So he's so back in the in the states. Yeah, he's back in jail again. And Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were being held in Carthage Jail when on June 27th, a mob of about 200 people stormed the jail and killed both Joseph Smith and his brother. think like I've
1: never heard actually how how just died, but it's not quite what I expected.
0: Yeah, it He was martyred, assassinated, because, I mean, he was a religious figure, and he was also a political figure. So not good for the Mormon community. Tensions continued to rise now without their leader. And of the crowd of, like, 200 people that stormed the jail that day, only five men were indicted for the murder. But, of course, they all were acquitted. Tensions continue to rise, and now without Joseph Smith, there's not someone to kind of steer them through this yet. Kind of a succession crisis. And on January 29th, 1845, the Illinois state legislature just abolishes the town of Nauvoo. They just remove their, repealed their like city charter and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so they now no longer have this. Political insulation keeping them safe. So mobs begin to come in and start forcefully evicting them again. So, examining their options, the church leader who ends up succeeding Joseph Smith, his name is Brigham Young. And in September of 1846, he and the last of the Mormons in Nauvoo are expelled from the city. And this expulsion triggers the Mormon Exodus, as it is now known, where about 70,000 people traveled along the Mormon Trail to the Great Salt Lake Valley over the next two years. And they chose this location because at the time, the Great Salt Lake was in Mexico. So they already got kicked out of like three states now. Two of them violently were not even going to deal with the U.S. anymore, so they go to Mexico. But a couple of years later, the Mexican-American War happens, and the U.S. annex all that area, so back to square one. But they're out in the middle of nowhere now, so they can kind of protect themselves with their isolation. July 24th is still annually celebrated in Utah as Pioneer Day, so it's the day that The first settlers entered the valley and the generation of Mormon pioneers that made this trek, they're cherished in the Mormon cultural psyche. If you can trace like your genealogy to a certain pioneer, you know, there's a lot of pride in that. And another thing that they sort of take pride in is that a lot of these pioneers They didn't have the wealth to afford like the covered wagons and stuff that you normally think Mm -hmm. of pioneers. So a lot of them had hand carts and walked that entire route on foot. Wow. So dedication, dedication. That's the second Mormon war and uh, the subsequent Mormon exodus to Utah. Of course, once they get to Utah, as what happens with westward expansion, uh, you're not moving on to empty land. And so there was several conflicts with the indigenous Native Americans that were living there for about the next decade. Namely, some of the groups that were involved in this conflict were, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, the Timpanogos, Shoshone, and the Utes after which the state is named and the college football team. Mm -hmm. So um, we won't get into that. And as with most interactions between Indigenous people and white colonizers, the colonizers were successful for the most part. I won't spend too much time on this because the episode's long enough already, but, you know, just necessary to acknowledge it. Of course, in its own right, you need to acknowledge it. But also the ongoing indigenous conflict plays a part in the next series of conflicts so many because there's more <laughs> they just can't catch a brick but this one um mormons might not be as much as the victim hey there everybody this is kelvin from the future we're gonna have to Leave you in suspense for the rest of this episode. It got a bit too long, so we split it into two parts. Part two will be released in a couple of days. Thank you for listening, and we'll roll the outro now. See you next time for the conclusion of the Mormon Wars. You listeners, if you liked today's episode, again please tell your friends about us. We're always happy to share this with other people. If you want to look more into Early Mormon history and Mormon beliefs, or whatever. I'll put some links down in the show notes. Any people listening are members or former members of the LDS Church. Let us know how I did. You know, hopefully, we didn't get anything too wrong. Our music in this episode is by Mountaineer. You can find their music and other people's music on upbeat.io. That's U-P-P-B-E-A-T dot I-O Opening clip was from The Book of Mormon Musical Which I highly recommend It's hilarious, crude Great music As always, we'd like to acknowledge That we are recording this podcast On occupied land That rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, Tonkwa, and other Indigenous peoples If you have any questions Suggestions for future episodes Or you just want to say hi, you can reach us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with me. Till next time, peace. Bye, everyone.
1: Bye, guys.